With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Desiree Dubois, founder of An Empowered Woman and Let's Talk Success. Let's Talk Success is a series of shows where we spotlight women who have achieved the millionaire status as they share their stories, their challenges, their victories, and their secrets to success. We distribute it in the form of a digital magazine. That way you have their videos, you have their podcasts and their articles, and let's get to know lots about them. So today I have the pleasure of our uh, cover girl for February 2015, Ms. Tina Aldotz. How are you doing? How are you doing today? Wonderful, Desiree. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you. Thank you. You are the entrepreneur and founder of Foot Pedals, um, which was a you know, designer insole cushions, cushions for women's high heels. And now you're working with something even more exciting, um, the Savvy Travel. So tell us about Foot Pedals and tell us about the story and how you got started and all that good stuff. All right. Well, as we <laughs> talked about when you were here with me, in a nutshell, just kind of giving you a background on who I am, I'm... Not just an entrepreneur, but I'm a self-made Hispanic female entrepreneur, which really takes you way lower than just that two percentile that people talk about in the upper echelon. In addition to being a self-made Hispanic female entrepreneur, I a lot of people don't know about me a few things, and that's I was a child in an environment of domestic violence. I had to live in a shelter for battered women with my mother and my brother and sister when I was nine years old. I also am a pediatric burn survivor. I suffered third-degree burns on the bottoms of my feet when I was nine years old due to a beach accident. And I do not have a formal education. In fact, I was emancipated at the age of 15, and I've been working full-time ever since. So that's only five years because I'm 20. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you look that. You only look 20 years old. But the other thing is is that it's just so powerful because the – some of those situations – People, they stop. They can't go any further. They use it as an excuse why they can't achieve certain success. But you utilize it as a propel, you know, to actually do something. It propels you towards being determined to be successful. Is that correct? That is correct. I, at a very young age, you know, I think I was fascinated with television and movie stars and maybe the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Who knows what inspired me, but... I really made a a conscious decision not to be a victim of my environment. And that's powerful. And that's powerful. So how did you get to, so then you left Los Angeles and you went to New York. So tell us, tell us the story. How did you even start? How did you get that bright idea 
that, you know, women all over, you know, utilize today. And that must be very exciting in itself to know that you talk to anybody. Doctors say, oh, I have those. I use those. How do they get started? <laughs> so I just, I still trip out when people tell me that <laughs> they have the product. Or sometimes I'll be at a meeting or an event and someone will just take off their shoes and they're like, look, I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> really cool. Um, I think the first thing is is that, you know, being a pediatric burn survivor, I suffered third-degree burns to the bottoms of my feet, never knowing, of course, that that accident would ultimately become my destiny. But move, growing up in Southern California here in Orange County, we don't walk Anywhere. I mean, I'm even guilty, and I'll admit it, I will drive from one end of a parking lot to the other because I can't, you know, I just <laughs> don't want to move my car. I mean, it's just, or I don't want to walk. It's so ridiculous. But the shock of being 25 years old and moving to New York City, I think, really planted the seed for me when I realized how much I walked miles every day. And I worked for two major fashion mogul companies, uh, Victoria's Secret and BCBG Max Azria. So, of course, being in that type of fashion environment, you have to dress from head to toe to the nines, as they say on the East Coast. And wearing high heels was just part of my uniform. But the pain that I went through you know, people wonder, like, why we have a New York attitude. I think that's part of it, <laughs> wearing high heels. <laughs> so I think that was really what, what kind of catapulted the idea. They say necessity is the mother of invention, and that was certainly the case for foot pedals and myself. Mm. And so you created the prototype, and then how did you get it started? How did you get it out there? I created that prototype, and working for BCBG Max Azria, I had a lot of experience in public relations, marketing, and merchandising. So having that history of real-life experience in retail gave me the ability to create a product that was going to be a niche market item. And when you create a niche market item, you can really pigeonhole and kind of pinpoint how your marketing and your extension to getting people aware of the product is going to be. So I worked strategically because I had moved back to California. I was living in Hollywood, and I really worked hard with celebrities and very, um, you know, people that were influencers, if you will, and that really mm -hmm. helped to the brand into a lifestyle. And then from there you you promoted it or how did you get the first sale and kind of take us to that. Because a lot of people don't know because they have this right idea, you know, but they never take it to the next step. So they so they now just that would be create a prototype. And what was your next step from there? And then getting yourself you know, to the market. The next step is really having a solid plan in place. An entrepreneur you have to have a plan in place. And my plan was making sure that I had the money, working capital, where the money was going to be allocated, and when I was going to see money coming back in. Secondly, marketing plan. How are people going to hear about your product? What's going to drive them to action? 
And then how is everything going to be managed? Because you've got to have that infrastructure. Infrastructure is probably the most key word that I can stress to any entrepreneur. You have to have your accounting systems in place and your electronic data you know, interface going where your company cannot speak to an, a retailer if you don't have these certain systems in place with UPC codes, you know, there are companies out there, distribution centers, that can help you when you figure out what exactly it is that you're making. And it's important to have all of the systems in place so that you can withstand growth. And that was um, one of the most important things, was getting um, the product in place and then creating line sheets, knowing how many, like, our minimums would be and what buyers would be required to do when they placed an order. You basically want to pretend like you're a buyer and make, mm -hmm. doing business your, make doing business with you so easy for them that all they have to do is sign their name on the dotted line. That's, um, that's, I mean, that was pretty intuitive for you to be able to even think of it from that perspective. And so but how did you get the money to even get started? I have quite a few ladies, again, that got this great napkin idea. And that, and so, how did you get the funds? Did you go through friends and family? Did you get investors? Just like even to get the money to be able to get that far, where did you? What was? How did you get accomplish that? First, I sold every one of my worldly possessions that I had. Um, so that was <laughs> a sacrifice, but I believed enough in myself that mm -hmm. you know I wasn't going to expect other people to believe in me without me putting my money where my mouth was first. Then I reached out to friends and family, and I found a private investor who's actually an angel investor to listen to my sales pitch. Now, whether or not he was going to invest didn't matter to me because I knew if I got his input and direction that I could take it to other investors. I was very fortunate because he was known for investing in Latino businesses, so I became the first female Latina that he invested in, and it was on the spot that day. Wow. Wow. That was exciting. Um, so that was very exciting. And then so some people may be thinking, okay, well, was that luck or that was – I think what it was is that you were um, diligent. You had done your homework. You were uh, tenacious enough to, to even start that process. And a lot of people are afraid to speak it out. A lot of people are afraid to go to those type of investors who they feel they're not ready yet. And I think what you speak to is that whether you're ready or not, you went to and did that presentation unattached to the outcome. Is that correct? Yes. You know, so you yes. So I was, of course, I was doing like backflips. I probably could have moonwalked all the way home, but um, <laughs> I was so excited. <laughs> I knew it was a far drive. But uh, <laughs> I, was, I was really excited. But because I, I wasn't expecting that, and he, being a savvy investor, you know, saw the opportunity and didn't want to let it pass him by. So it was strategic on both of our parts, and that's something that I think he was very impressed with. Is he said, "Well, what is your intention? If I come in and fund this project, what are you willing to give me in return?" And I didn't even blink an eye, and I said, "Well, look, if you put up the money, I'll put up the work." That's called sweat equity. And I would consider us to be 50-50 partners. 
And he said, wow, that's very admirable. And I said, well, what do you think about that? And he said, you know what I think about that? It tells me that you're a serious businesswoman because you're willing to put your money where your mouth is and you're also willing to do the work, but you're also not trying to hold on to the entire percentage. I would rather have a smaller piece of a big pie than a big piece of a small pie. And that's how I looked at it. Yeah, and that's huge because a lot of people, that's where they stop. And we see these shows like Shark Tank and some other shows that maybe around, but just real-life situations where entrepreneurs kind of, you know, bite themselves, you know, or um, that's because they don't, they're so hesitant to either share or to give that up. But you were perceptive enough to realize that, again, we hear it all the time, 50% of something is better than 100% of nothing. And there's a lot of people that have 100% of nothing out there. So yeah. Exactly and, and right. Then at the end, and, and at the end, you know, it enables you to do something and make millions as a result of it. So you don't feel like you've lost anything by making that decision, do you? No way. I would have never got anywhere without the time and knowledge, wisdom, and experience of my business partners. Collaboratively, you're talking about hundreds of years of experience when you look at, you know, what they brought to the table. So... What, I've, what we did in a 10-year period probably would have taken 25 years if I wouldn't have been willing to give up what I was. That's great. And that's, again, that's the point that I want everybody to pay attention to because I think we've all may have made that mistake at one time or another. And, um, you know, that doesn't always happen again. You know, people think, oh, I'll get, if I get this one offer, maybe somebody else will come around with even a better offer. You know, it's just... Um, you know, being intuitive enough to be able to say, this sounds great for me and get me getting started. So after that, you've had some challenges along the way. And one of them is, uh-huh, yeah. um, <laughs> only a few. <laughs> but to be kind enough to share a few so those of us who encounter them can know that we, too, can go forward like Tina. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, probably the biggest challenge was when we were off and running. We had a really successful first trade show and it's very important, just backing up a bit, for everyone to understand who your competition is, where you intend to be placed inside retail stores, if, in fact, you are a retailer, or knowing who your competition is if you're a service, and knowing what those price comparisons are. So you really you know, have to know how you're positioning yourself. Now, we went into the plan being higher priced because we were an aspirational brand with better quality, best-in-class, first-to-market. So knowing that we had those two things under our belt was extremely important, but it also gave us leverage. Even when we suffered the major obstacle of 9-11, the major department stores that had placed orders called us and canceled the orders after 9-11 because they simply weren't in a position to bring in new vendors. But... Oftentimes throughout history, if you go back and look, entrepreneurs have a tendency to thrive and grow businesses during recessions. And that's why now is the time for entrepreneurs to get out there and get busy and take advantage of opportunities and look at investors as you know people that are really hoping to get us growing. This, this is America. This is the land of opportunity. And we're known for being innovative. So whether or not 9-11 was going to close our business down, and it certainly had 
that impact. You're talking about, you know, $50,000 in orders, and I put $200,000 into production. So I'm on the hook of, you know, with my factory, and all my buyers canceled, so I have no income. So basically, I should have just shut the doors, and I could have. But instead, we decided to regroup and be flexible and change our strategy. And we made smaller starter kits. We included a display unit that we paid for. So that was our marketing dollars. And we gave it to stores and said, listen, we're going to guarantee our sales. And, and the buyers were like, what does that mean? What do you mean you're going to guarantee your sales? And I said, if you bring our products in and you display it exactly as we're showing you for 60 days, if you don't, it doesn't sell, you can send it back and we'll give you all your money back, no questions asked. And that was strategic for us because if we were in a retailer and we weren't selling, it wasn't in our best interest for our brand to be in those locations. So we had the opportunity by doing that to let buyers test us risk-free. And mm-hmm. I can tell you probably less than 10% ever returned their product. Now, sometimes we would swap out if a black color was selling better or tan was selling better in another store. We would just switch out the products for the items that they sold better. And it was a win-win situation, and that led to us having a fantastic reputation with our retailers. Yes, I mean, so the point that you're making is that being flexible, being strategic, not folding, but just not going back to the drawing board and thinking of a plan B. Exactly. Yes. That's right. Um, but I was also impressed when you said that what, at, at what point that you got on a red eye and went out to one of your manufacturers because, again, it comes, comes to obstacles. Sometimes we encounter different obstacles where we don't have the money to do something and being able to be creative. So share that story with us because I find it really empowering. Oh, man, it's empowering, but it also, like, (laughs) that was a a really hard trip because, uh, you know, my manufacturer, the factory, is based in Ohio. And I was based in California. All of the buyers canceled their orders. We're in production. We, We switch our you know, business plan around, and we start accepting all these small orders from mom-and-pop shops, and we're ready to ship. Well, the factory calls and says, sorry, Tina, we're not shipping nothing because you know pay, we know ship. So I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And so I didn't know what to do. My, My business partner, Margie, she said, get on a plane right now, like right now, like within the next hour, whatever the next flights that leave, that's leaving, go. I threw a bit, you know, bag together and, you know, biz, a business suit in a carry-on, got on the next flight, arrived at 6 in the morning the next morning in Ohio, went in the bathroom, brushed my teeth, put on my makeup, switched into a business suit, rented a car and drove to the factory and explained to them that I have an an opportunity, uh, what I like to pretend like I was the godfather and offer you can't refuse, but I'm totally <laughs> that way. <laughs> and you I, were that moment. Yeah, and, and they listened. They saw the opportunity. By the end of the day, we became business partners. They bought out my original partner's majority of his shares because, you know, there you can start with a certain investor, and then at a point there might be 
no more room for growth, and you've outgrown your investor. That's not bad. That's a good problem to have, but you need to have plan B and plan C. So now I needed a bigger partner, and partnering with our own manufacturer was just a win-win-win situation because we had the lock on our product at the factory, in the only factory in the United States that made the best products of this design. So no one else could really copy us because we partnered with our own factory and no one else could go there and make our same product and copy us. So it was strategic again. And we took the company from $1.6 million at that point in annual sales to $10 million in annual sales consistently. And eventually, we sold the company to a big publicly traded organization. And, you know, and the rest is history. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's amazing. And I know you're making it sound or it sounds very easy and simple, but there was so much that went on behind, you know, the scenes and along the way. But what the story tells us is that, again, growing, being open, being tenacious, you know, being, um, you know, just really seeing that going forward, just moving forward and making sure that you, even selling, that some people have been too attached to this product to be able to sell it, to be attached to their baby, they may refer to it, but you were realized that you were at a point where you were at the highest and best use was to sell it, and then you know that you had other ideas and other products you'd be able to take on or go forward from there because you were still young when you sold it. So, Yeah, um, you know, and going, just agreeing with what you had to say, you know, some people are too attached to their project and our product, and, and I'm certainly... I fall under that category. I take it very personal when someone rejects my product. So it's it's almost impossible for me to attend sales meetings when you get down to the negotiating portion. Because <laughs> I get my feelings hurt, I take it personal, and then I don't want to sell it to anyone. So if it were left up to me, I would probably wouldn't even be in business today. So, you know, there's a point where you have to recognize what you're good at and what you're not good at and get out of the way, you know. <laughs> That's interesting. And then what's funny, what's funny, well, what's just good afterwards, rather, that you donated some time. You took some time off and you gave back to your community, not only to the Latinos, but to Girls Inc. and so forth, which is, you know, a great give back. Some people don't take the time to do that. They just don't. They just make it and they keep going, keep going, keep going, but they never take that pause, that break to give back and to inspire others. And I admire that about what you've done. Thank and now you're you on to the next. Yeah, I mean, so it was important for me. Yeah, it was important for me just to refine my footing and also, you know, do something that I loved. Working with children has always been a passion. Working with the, my Hispanic community, I actually co-produced a film that highlighted immigration issues here in the United States and Mexico. And I went on talk shows, you know, debating this this you know issue that we're having and just being an American that contributes to society was imp- is important. You know, when I was in a position to do so, it's you should. Absolutely. And now you've written a book that should be launching any moment now, yes? Oh, yeah, and it has all of the dirty little secrets and, <laughs> you know, ups and downs and challenges. It's two stories paralleled. Uh, a story about my upbringing and the challenges and, that I've overcome, obstacles, and really over.
overcoming those as, you know, a person. And then at the same time, the story in present time talks about the entire journey of starting foot pedals and the ups and downs and obstacles through that. And then ultimately, both sides coming out and you're seeing a success story or a happy ending. You know, it's it's like a... I don't know. I'm half Mexican, so I'm like a Mexican Cinderella story, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful story. And then you also um, have a new project, Savvy Traveler? Yes, and I'm, you know, traveling for so many years. I really feel that my business partner and I have, we have learned so many tricks and, you know, secrets to traveling and making it you know, just the best experience without hassles, that we're going to share this with a collection of products that will really take you through your travels in, you know, a very smart, simple, and safe way. And so, Tina, you also have something, and I like to close with this because it's, I find it really powerful, with your six essentials for business, your three M's and your three R's. Would you be kind enough to share that with our listeners today? Sure. So, the three M's were taught to me by my mentor and the gentleman, Mr. Armando DuPont, who was my angel investor. He taught me about the three M's, and this is a business plan in three easy steps. Knowing how much money you need. So it's money, management, and marketing. If you can answer these questions off the top of your head, then you have a viable business plan that you can comfortably talk to within potential investors. So money, how much do you need? When do you need it? Where is it going to be spent? And when will I see a return on my investment? Then marketing, who's going to hear about your product? Who's your target audience? What's going to make them take action? And then third is management. Who's going to handle the sales? who's going to handle the logistics and the infrastructure of the company. You've got to think about sales, accounting, billing, and then you've also got to think about management of, you know, human resources, taxes, legal, trademarking, patents, business licenses, all of those permits and things that happen. So management is very important. So those are the three M's, money, management, and marketing. Then I go into the three R's, which is the second half of my six essentials. And the three R's are what I refer to as my core values. And these are things where I do that gut check, where if I'm making a decision or I'm faced with a problem, these are the things that help me discern the proper objective or make the the proper decision. So I think about the three R's. Is this going to enhance or or take away from my reputation. So the first R is your reputation. How solid is it? How can you leverage it? How can Who can you reach out to? Who do you know? It could be friends, family, business acquaintances, coworkers, former colleagues, and then networking opportunities. So, you know, your reputation is one. Secondly, being resourceful is really important, and I use that in a couple of different ways through my journey, and I talk about it in my book. Uh, being resourceful. Even when I was a child, we had to utilize the resources of being, um, you know, residents of a a shelter, um, using resources such as 
you know, welfare and Section 8 housing and things like that, you know, I had to use the resources that this country provides. And then utilizing resources that are at the tip of your fingers that you don't think about, your friends, you know, bartering. I bartered my PR services with a friend who wanted to start her own PR company. And I said, hey, I've got a great two-bedroom apartment. Why don't you be my roommate? I'll pay the rent and I'll be your first client. And we both launched our companies together. So that's being resourceful. So that's the second R. First is reputation. Second is resourceful. And then the third is being resilient. And I feel that that's, again, the most differentiator between successful people and unsuccessful people. If you're not able to overcome problems, then they will take you down. So you've got to bounce back. Being resilient like a basketball, just bounce back and get over it. <laughs> those are the three R's. Thank, thank you. Thank you. I just, every time I hear that, it just kind of just resounds, you know, with your spirit again. It's like, yes, we can do it, you can do it, and this is how you can do it. And I love the way you break that down, and I think people have commented really favorably to that by hearing it on your videos and in your articles. So I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your time, your expertise, and your story. Um, it's empowering, it's wonderful, and we um, really appreciate it. So if anyone, I want to remind anyone they want to, your book is called From Stilettos to, Stilettos to the Stock Exchange. I want everyone to be, um, stay tuned for when that's going to be available so they can purchase their copy. I'm anxious, I can't wait, as well as knowing that you're available for speaking opportunities. And, Tina, you know, just tell them how they can contact you for more. You can contact me very easily at www.tina, T-I-N-A, at aldats, A-L-D-A-T-Z.com. So it's tinaaldats.com. And there's inquiries, and you can send me emails, and I get them all. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. And I thank our listeners for sharing our time with us today. And until we meet again, stay empowered. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.